My name is Matt Brown. I don't remember. I was having too good of a time. I was drinking all the all the water that they got down there in Clemson. It's great water. And let's start the show. And don't get beside yourself on social media and start responding to the foolishness because they're right. They're right. And we're practicing them all. The world is a better place because you are here to join us. My name is Matt Brown and I am your host of the Productive Conversations podcast. It is Thursday, October 19th. 2023 oh baby we are getting closer to the end of the month we are just on the brink of halloween and then we have the beautiful month of november and the holiday season and then it'll be a whole new year and college football keeps ramping up and the games are getting more crucial than ever as we are well beyond the halfway point at this point of the season so there's a lot to get into Heisman candidates have been changing. We have Colorado getting humbled once again, maybe their most humbling experience. Alabama is good, but they aren't the dominant powerhouse we're used to seeing. They just barely slip away against Arkansas. And we have a lot of other things to get into. And Caleb Williams already thinking about the next step and all of that. But There's definitely a very good productive conversation regarding the world of college football that is just around the corner. And I just want to remind you before we get into that to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasting platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show across all social media platforms. We're on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast, Twitter and X at ProdCoppelPod. We're on TikTok at Productive Conversations and Facebook at Productive Conversations. So this week, we didn't really expect much. There were a couple of important games, Oregon and Washington, for instance. But yeah, things actually wound up being more interesting than they seemed. And now as we are inching closer to November, as I mentioned, we already passed the halfway point. Before you know it, it's going to be the rivalry games. And there's just a lot of conference play for the rest of the season in general from here on out. And yeah, this is where the college football season gets very important once all the leaves really start changing colors before they fall down. And once we see where things are going and we have a good gist of what each school and each program are, and now we just see how they all unfold against each other. A lot of schools had pretty easy schedules and now they're getting tougher. And we're going to separate the haves and the have-nots, the men from the boys, the true dominant and great teams to the big phonies. We're going to get all into that and more in just a few moments. So Alex Renelio and Nico Nocera are here with me. Here's your daily dose of PCP. Let's talk about Colorado with an embarrassing loss. Let's talk about Michael Penix Jr. becoming the new Heisman favorite. And let's talk about some other things as well as make picks for week eight in the college football season. So yeah, a lot to get into. It's going to be a great time. So why don't we start it right now? Alex and Nico, it's your guys' turn. Let's talk about week seven in college football and make picks for week eight. All right. Alex and Nico, let's do it. Here we go. This is a very productive conversation. College football week seven in the 
college football realm. And we're past the halfway point. These games are getting more meaningful. These games are getting more important. And we have to lead you in the right direction, give you your daily dose of PCP, and discuss this past week in college football and look ahead to week eight. Alex and Nico are here with me. Gentlemen, good to see everybody. How we doing? Let's get it. What up, Matt? Happy to be back. Let's talk some college football. I'm good. I'm good. Glad to see you guys. You know, one thing we like to keep, and I think um, one thing we like to keep consistent with this pod, and I just want to open here. I feel we're the only outlet still talking about Deion Sanders in Colorado on this national standpoint, of course. And the thing to talk about this time is the fact that they were up by 29 points in the first half against Stanford, and they lost with a returning Travis Hunter. And uh, a really ugly, pretty bad. And now people can start pointing out the showboating looks like it. Uh, you know, what is there to really showboat for a team that looks like they might be on the brink to 500 or under it? But regardless... Um, I do listen to Dion's Dion's pre and post game. I think he's very genuine, and for all the um, media they get, and I put it in the beginning of the show, but he made them practice the very next day. He said, "We have practice tomorrow." For anyone who's had a hard ass coach like that, that uh, could bring back bad memories. But yeah. Despite this bad loss, how are we feeling about what's going on in the program with Colorado at the moment, uh, a three and three at the moment? Absolutely. I, I have a very similar take to when I had last week. Um, obviously, this, the fact that it's not just us, it's every media outlet out there that we're talking about Colorado still after this game. Mm-hmm. We, we should be talking about Stanford with a 29-point comeback. That's unbelievable. And we're, all <laughs> the attention is still on Colorado. And it's not our fault that we're doing it. It's everyone doing it. My take last week doesn't change from this week. We got to stop talking about a mediocre football team. The program has been juven- like relifted, re-everything. It's back. It's back. But that's it. Leave it out there. This team's not going anywhere. I think this team wins one game the rest of the year versus Arizona in a couple weeks. I really think they lose from here on out. Um, But speaking of Stanford, you need a win like that. Stanford has been terrible, and a win like that can really help get those players locked in, maybe sneak into a bowl game. Still might be hard, but see what can happen. I don't disagree with that. Um, But if I was to characterize what's going on, the phenomena going into week seven and now week eight, moving forward, I would expect, I would kind of rewind our memory to when Lonzo Ball got drafted and his father was hyping him up, hyping him up, hyping him up. And he was getting all the sins of the father thrown at him, lashing week after week after week by all these, all these players schooling him on the court, giving them their best. And I feel like it's kind of the same effect going on right now because Colorado, they had their moment in the sunlight but now they're get they've been brought back to earth. They've been humbled, and now they're kind of getting, um, you know, routed and embarrassed on a weekly basis. And I don't know how they recover. I don't know how they bounce back. But that's just kind of the characterization that I see going on within the media. But I mean, of course, this was a you know this was a demoralizing downfall of proportions. You can't be up twenty nine nothing. <clears throat> and blow a game like that, especially at home. I mean, it's just completely demoralizing to, again, a, team, a Stanford team that 
hasn't been good since I don't even know since CNAC was there probably right I mean it, <laughs> like in Harbaugh when he was there probably <laughs> yeah so I won't years ball- ago. Yeah, I won't dwell on it too much. Um, I think as the, the season progresses, it, Colorado's just going to be what they're going to be. Um, you know, they're going to be an improving semi-500 team, and um, they'll learn from this, and, and Deion will get humbled to go into the next season. I find that the ultimate thing to discuss really is, you know, this season it will be it is what it is goals to get into a bowl game and i'm sure they can make the point set a bowl a uh all-time ratings juggernaut <laughs> honestly they can make the you know pre-new year's bowls a big deal or pre- let's say pre-new year's eve bowls a big deal Absolutely. and it's really a you know we we won't really follow the recruiting standpoint on that on this for the ne- after the fact in the spring and stuff but i guess it's real well really a year from now i see how much are they really going to recruit players? And can they really turn this mediocre team? Because you obviously have a big deal coach. You have a a school that is getting nothing but cash. And on top of that, if you're good enough and get noticed by NFL scouts, your chances of getting to the league will be higher. I think that it'll be really interesting to see what this team looks like next year. And I really think because of how everything is decided by the dollar bill and I'm only interested to see how much revenue they actually generate, like they may literally turn to an insane program, not overnight, but over a year, simply because of you know who and the money coming in. Absolutely. And I, and I think they do. I, I really think in five years, Colorado is going <laughs> to be a powerhouse. Nuts. And that's why right now, I think we could like, you just got to stop talking about it because the program's back. I think they're going to get so many recruits. Like if you're a college kid, you're 18 years old, 17 years old, sitting there right now, you're looking at Sherry Sanders going around with a Rolex on <laughs> $4 million. You're probably thinking, why can't that be me? So Seriously. they're going to get their players and it's, Everything they're doing for the program is working. Money talks. I I, I agree, but I, I slightly disagree on the time frame. I think this is more of a three-year window opposed to a five, a seven, or a ten-year window. Uh, I think this is again, this is his first experiment into D one football. He came from an HBCU, so he's still trying to prove himself. If he can string together two winning seasons, I don't see him staying past the third season, just because he's looking for the next lily pad to go to a bigger program. So. I'm not dis- necessarily disagreeing. I just, um, I just don't quite see the same time frame. Well, we will follow journey, indeed, right, gentlemen? Of course. Oh yeah. Ooh. All right. So, this is about two parter right here. This is very important. Um, one moment, actually. So, I want to talk about Michael Penix Jr. and how he led. Washington to defeat the Oregon Ducks. Heck, for if you knew how bad Caleb played, and um, if you knew how bad Caleb would play later that at, that evening, and we will save him for the very next segment, it might as well have been a Heisman Trophy battle between Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr., with Michael Penix Jr. getting the victory. And at this point, Washington might now be considered for the college football playoff. That's how well and dominant it looks at this point. So talk to me about Washington's victory over Oregon 
and how Michael Penix Jr., if you agree or disagree, that he is the new Heisman Trophy favorite after Kayla's bad game against Notre Dame, which we will follow next. So um, remember that with your take and with the Caleb stuff. So this um, this award is obviously cumulative, but we have to keep an eye on it like we are. We're monitoring it week by week because things change so drastically week to week. Um, I would say, yes, Penix is the forefront favorite at this point. Um, we're looking at the Pac-12 like we've never looked at it in you know recent history, which is going from a laughing stock uh, conference to possibly the second best, dare I say. I mean, the SEC isn't quite the SEC of years past. And you look at all the stiff competition down the line with the Pac-12, you could make an argument that they're the second top heaviest in competition this year, which is kind of unfathomable. So all those things considered, they're putting together a great resume. Penix played almost a perfect game besides the one pick, which I don't really say was too much of his fault in the grand scheme of the game. Um, but um, he, he played a stellar game. They played it that wire, wire to wire. Um, they had this game circled on the on the schedule from week one. They knew it was going to be a bloodbath, and they're very lucky it didn't go into OT. But even if it did and he didn't uh, prevail, I still think we're talking about Penix the same way in the conversation of the Heisman. So I just think, you know, hats off to Washington. They closed the deal, unlike teams like Miami, who just had to freaking kneel from a week ago. So um, they were able to squeak it out. And it was it was definitely a game for the year. I, I was I was um, I was so happy with what I saw on both sides of um, both sides of Oregon and Washington. Yeah, I, I think Alex said it perfectly. Like you said, like it was just an overall great game. Both, even both quarterbacks, Bo Nix and Penix, whoever won that game, I really don't think it was going to hurt their Heisman stock at all. Obviously, I think Penix gets the edge, obviously, with the win. But um, moving forward, if, if the, both these teams are one loss teams going down to the end of the year, um, that, that's still going to be a coin flip. Both quarterbacks played outstanding, and that's what you want to see in a game of this magnitude. You want to see these quarterbacks ball out. Um, Oregon obviously coming up short. I still believe they are the best team in the Pac-12. Um, I did say this last week. I did like Washington to win this game, and I do think Oregon um, runs the table from here on out and sneaks into the playoff. I really do. Um, but hats off to both teams. Awesome college football game. Um, and like Alex said, Pac-12 is arguably is arguably the best conference right now. I think Big Ten people say right now, but like right now at this state, Pac-12 got some they got some ballers. So crazy. And ironically, they're about to essentially disband it in less than a year. <clears throat> well, isn't it kind of right. ironic? it's kind of ironic because um, I know I know Nico could speak to this as well. Um, I remember when they disbanded the original Big East, Big East. they were like the cream of the crop too, and it was so yeah. crazy. Like everybody was pissed. They were all going to different conferences, and it feels like the same thing. Yeah, no, that was out of time. Like, yeah, your teams like Pittsburgh, Syracuse, UConn, all these teams were top three seeds every year. Marquette, yep. West yep. Virginia. Oh, yeah, big old Big East. Miss it. Cincinnati. I can go on forever about that. Another <laughs> show. All about the money. <laughs> so transitioning to that, where USC – Got their first loss against the Fighting Irish, an ugly forty-eight to twenty victory, or I should say, an ugly forty-eight to twenty loss for UFC. You know, Nico, you were talking specifically about how last week with that Notre Dame and the Fighting Irish still need to show heart. They still need to play well. They still need to show who they are and. 
throwing up for a 48 burger on them is uh, very important, especially to an undefeated team, as you mentioned, with a flawed defense and they exposed them the whole game. Now on the other side, talking about Caleb Williams, man threw three picks, didn't even pass 200 yards passing, and uh, was a mess out there. And the Notre Dame defense pressured him the whole game, and it was not looking good for Caleb. Now, Caleb is still obviously the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. That stock is not going down. But as we mentioned here, um, as you mentioned here, um, maybe his Heisman Trophy candidacy, maybe his Heisman Trophy candidacy could possibly be in jeopardy. Let's say it ended this, if it happened to end this week, they would not give it to him. But I have another question for Caleb after the fact, but regarding this game, after the loss to Notre Dame, where does Caleb go from here to uh, overcome this obstacle? And do you think he could do it? Yeah, um, I definitely think he could. I definitely think Caleb will fall out the remainder of the year. Um, I think he's going to be fine. USC as a team, I said it a few weeks back, I guarantee this team has three losses by the end of the year. They're a three to four loss team. They're not good. Caleb Williams is singly the heart and soul of this team. Um, these games happen. You got to learn from these games. You're going to have bad games here and there. Happens every single quarterback. Um, Notre Dame, unbelievable defense. Um what could you do? Um, it happens sometimes. You got to learn from it. Don't think it should hurt his draft stack at all. Don't think it's really going to affect him going forward. I think it was a game that happens to everybody, and uh, it happens. Move forward. Move on. It's going to get better each week. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame's a great football team. It's. I don't think anybody's arguing that. You know, rivalry game, biggest lights. Um, I still think that, you know, Caleb may not have played a perfect game. He had three picks. Um, but, you know, it's a throwaway game. You move on. You don't dwell on it. I still think that they have higher contentions for the rest of the season. And I think that I, I would slightly disagree with Matt. I don't think he's a lock to be number one. And the only reason I say that is because the offense is so top heavy. Ooh, so that's so, a bold take. Well, the reason I say that is because they're so um, voluntarily surrounded um, by Lincoln Riley's system that they, they have put all their weight and all their eggs in one basket with Caleb. And that could kind of go one of two ways. It's kind of like the Lamar Jackson effect, like with, with Baltimore, like they're so, they're so dependent on him that they don't really have a secondary option. He doesn't foster, he doesn't make everybody better per se on an offensive standpoint, kind of like a Brady or a Mahomes. So <clears throat> I think that, yeah, he's immensely talented. Um, he if he runs the table and has great games through the remainder of the season, um, he could still be in that conversation for a second Heisman. But I don't think it's a lock because I think that there's bigger implications with playing out the remainder of your games. And um, I think that when it comes to draft night closer and closer, they start to take in a full context of selection committee um, and they look at the system that you were built on the offense you're playing out of you, how your OC works with you, coordinates with you. Um, it's not just, I mean, yeah, it's, it's tangibles and it's numbers, but there's a lot of things related to quality of, of, of personality. Final point I'll say on this with Caleb and the discussion with his draft stock is that I think that what he's trying to do by making his voice heard um, about his implications for part ownership was kind of um, uh, a purpose to poison the well because he's starting to lay the seeds kind of like Eli did where he didn't want to be deterred from going to San Diego when he got drafted. And I feel like 
he may not have the same personality in terms of like he's not going to say no to other places, but I think he wants to see he wants to get ahead of things and not be chasing his own tail by the time draft time season comes around where um, he has no control over his future. Well, yes, you know, that was my next point talking about Caleb and I have the report right here and we'll just go with it. But per multiple sources that representatives of the USC quarterback Caleb Williams had been making it known to prospective agents that Williams wants partial ownership of the team that selects him in 2024 if he declares for the draft. My thing is, who the hell does he think he is to say that? That is the that. And if you, I'm somebody who genuinely believes in karma, whether that's the right thing or wrong thing, I battle with that every day if I believe in karma. But that is, if you do believe in it, that is the ultimate way to be one of the most ultimate busts in the league. You're Jamarcus Russell's, you're Ryan Leafs, uh, and so on and so forth. What an asinine comment to say for somebody who's never had a snap in the league. And, you know, I know there were people who there was allegedly reports about Aaron Rodgers wanting a deal, which the NFL themselves said no to, but at least that guy, like him or not, he's a Hall of Fame NFL player. This guy well, is not even a professional football player to ask for that. Before I give Nico the mic, I just want to say, like, the reason I think it, it was purposely planted as a story for that for that specific reason. It's not that the owner should be taking his demands seriously. It's that it should be deterring them away from the type of player he's going to be in the professional league. So I think that he's trying to say, hey, I'm a bigger brand than what you can control. I want my money regardless of how I'm going to get it. And I'm going to try to get as much deterrence from bad teams and bad organizations where I can be catered to once I get there. I get that, but I, I, I don't agree with that strategy <laughs> because you think, because that's an arrogant thing beyond that. That's just a very arrogant thing to say. It's definitely arrogant. I, I, I definitely think that uh, it's a very, it's a good theory. It's very possible. I don't think that's the case. And I, Matt, I unfortunately disagree with you. I'm an all-in on Caleb Williams. I think he's the best quarterback we're seeing to be drafted all number one overall. Um, he's going to have the best potential out of anyone I've ever seen coming out of college, in my opinion. I think it was a great ask. I think if you were going to be in your mind, you think you're going to be the next Patrick Mahomes, you think you're going to be a Tom Brady eventually. I think it's an okay ask, and I don't think it's that absurd as everyone's saying it is. Uh, I get it, but... You know, it's it's really not a bad idea. Maybe like instead of getting certain grants, certain things like that, maybe a signing bonus will be like, okay, you're a part owner, you own one percent of this team, and you're gonna get all the funds. But I don't know. I don't know if it's something that the NFL ownership would ever allow. It doesn't seem like that's ever gonna happen. And I just think you at least need to have some cachet to ask for such a thing. But um even if you have two Heismans to your name, like Maybe, but I I don't I don't see that happening. I don't agree with that. And I think you need to be, you literally need to have, in your first ten years, seven Super Bowl appearances at that point and winning four of them. Like I just I just think that's that's just not a good light right now, especially for a world for, um, you know, then this very what have you done for me lately world we live in. That's something to uh, you guys got a lot of big. Uh, the guy has big balls for allegedly doing that, but we'll see. Maybe the story winds up dying. But one thing I think Caleb Williams definitely doesn't want is us to be tired of him until all April. I think one thing was Trevor Lawrence at least, and maybe maybe people think differently. And everyone knew that he was going to be, you know, the guy. And it seems at least now 
year three, yes, year three in the NFL, that he's starting to become a legitimate NFL quarterback. And, you know, that still took three years. And nobody, nobody, they usually don't go right out the gate playing well, except maybe like a John Elway off the top of my head, and Dan Marino too. But obviously those are all-time greats. So, um, yeah, Caleb Williams definitely has the potential. I don't doubt that he would be really play really well in the league, but, you know, be a little humble before you ask for such a thing. That's all I, that's all I think. I think it's just a bigger microcosm of this, this shock culture. So like these players, they're drinking their own juice. They they're getting NIL deals. He's living in Southern California, which is just like the epicenter of, you know, you know, self-branding one-on-one. I, I think there's far more strategy than we're reading into with just him trying to make a power play as a young adult and, 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 a, and, you know, assume to be professional. But let me ask you this, if he didn't say what he said, do you think that Jacksonville sitting at a number one uh, draft pick position like they were with Trevor Lawrence, do you think that they're willing to take on Trevor Lawrence if he said something like that? I think they would have cause for pause. And I think that he's doing what he's doing on purpose to push his draft stock back. you got to remember that Aaron Rodgers dropped in the draft. Brady obviously was way, way beyond that. But, um, you know, guys dropping the draft based on the things they do in college. And I think that he's very strategically monitoring that ripple effect when it comes to looking at the first round of draft picks, because if he drops, let's say he goes to like a Dallas or a green Bay at the end of the first round, he's in a far more lucrative and, and, and reasonable position to be successful in the league. Yeah. Anything non number one, if this is your true strategy that you don't want to be the number one overall pick, uh, fine. That's that's definitely a way to piss off people to get it. But I mean, you got what you want, and that's all that matters, right? Yep. So we we will see where this goes. All right, Alabama almost blows it against Arkansas this week. Still don't have an established quarterback. Uh, whatever happened to the insane defense that Alabama is known for? What a weird year for the Crimson Tide guys. What do we think about this Alabama team after uh, almost blowing it against Arkansas, which would have been such a cool upset if they pulled it off? Yeah, this team's just very inconsistent. Um, I, I really don't understand them. It's like they can – some drives, they're the best team. They're Alabama on some drives. You watch them, the way they move, the way they are just better, both sides of the football. Then they have that second half where it was just like, what are we doing? It's like, what are we watching? Um, and, and I don't know if that's like a locked-in factor. I definitely don't think it's coaching. Obviously, Saban's one of the best, like, biggest legends ever. But there's something going on there where, like, this team shows life how good they can be. There's possessions where Miller, like, you're looking at him, and like, this kid's unbelievable. He's going to be one of the next big things. Then there's possessions, and you're looking, you're like, this is a starting quarterback for Alabama. It, it's crazy. And, uh, they have tough matchups ahead going forward. They're going to get tested every week. They're going to be one of those teams that are just going to keep playing in close games, and I think they'll find ways to win. But, yeah, something's got to give. Yeah, 100%. They're being humbled. This is kind of a season for that for them. Um, definitely an inflection point as you see all the different variables moving across the league. But, yeah, they're going to have a hard time with Tennessee at home going, you know, and with, you know, with LSU. But uh, Bama's been humbled this season, I think, a lot of their offensive woes, m- many of them, as I've mentioned before, have been attributed to Bill O'Brien leaving. Um, you know, then you have Sark and Kiffin over the years leaving, but they didn't have the same kind of dip in in, in progression that, that you saw uh, in years past. But I just think that 
you know, th- there's some there's some parallels with the NIL and, um, you know, Saban's inability to kind of adapt to that, um, you know, that kind of trivial nature to how players are free flowing nowadays. So, um, you know, they'll, they'll hopefully get their their act together through the remainder of the season, but they're the softest top 10 team I've seen in a long time. And I think that um, <clears throat> to Nico's point, it, they're really just too inconsistent. They're always routinely a tale of two halves when you look at the box score and how they, they play these games. And um, you, you can't win a lot of football games in this league if you're, if you're coming out inconsistently. Oh, man. What a good study. That'll be a good 30 for 30. What was the thing that knocked out Alabama? The NIL deal, the ultimate. <laughs> well, I'll yeah. tell you what—that's what—that's what's happening to um, uh, what's his face, Calipari at Kentucky. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for for college basketball, for sure. Because yeah, he was doing it for years, and now everyone's doing it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Kidding. Oh man, I want to see like a comedy movie where starring Will Ferrell as a college basketball coach at the made-up university, Eastern University, where he's just um cajillionaire decides to buy the team and it's a commentary on the nil system while also hilarious and um that's what literally this is going to see soon like within the next decade we're going to get the most random school somehow becoming a powerhouse program simply because of how deep their pockets are shout out to the show blue mountain state (laughs) great great tv show not really great tv series also great movie too Madeline, awesome. <laughs> you know, the Atlantic Coast Conference in football has been very underrated. And, you know, we had Drake May, Drake May, North Carolina have a nice battle. And they actually pull out the victory. Louisville wound up losing. They, they lost their undefeated season against Pittsburgh of all schools. Even though they're forced to be reckoned with. Florida State destroyed um Nico's Nico's Syracuse Orange over there, but what's a nice of with North Carolina's win with the ACC right now and Florida State winning, seems like these two might battle it out, but they can't afford to lose either. Um, both undefeated teams doing really well, and you know if they have a loss, Louisville's right behind them. But how? What are we thinking about what you the ACC has been up to lately, especially after this past week? I think I think the ACC is we've talked about in the past couple of weeks is just filled with teams that are going to be in the bottom half of the top twenty five that are sneaky. Um, uh, I even think Florida State is going to be in that conversation right now. They're undefeated, one of the best teams in the country, but I personally think they're going to lose a couple of these games later in the season. And uh, I think it's just one of those conferences where they don't have the powerhouse team, and they're just going to be a bunch of like teams that. You'll have fun winning the Texas Bowl. You'll have fun winning these like Outback Bowls and stuff like that. But I, I just don't think the ACC, including Florida State, is anything to be scared of right now as a powerhouse. I think they're sneaky. They might be able to like ankle bite some teams, but I just really don't think they're. I, I just don't see the ACC team in the playoff. I see Florida State one loss doesn't get into the playoff. Yeah, I think they're going to have a little more cannibalism by proxy through the, the remaining six, seven games of the, of the year, particularly Florida State, because they're the only one that's in serious contention of the playoff. Um, I see them having a hard time with Duke at home. I really do. And even if they do prevail, I still think that the committee's not going to give them the nod by the end of the year, where opposed to they would give it to a Washington or even an Ohio State looking in um, from the outside. So, um I think that there's a lot of stiff competition 
towards the latter half of the top 25, kind of like Nico said. It's very interesting to see how week to week these these games play out because I think it's the most um, – it's not only the most consequential uh, conference because there's so much up in the air um, when we weigh the ACC versus the other Power Five, but I also think that there's the most randomness. Um, so, you know, again, Miami losing on the last play and, and – um, you know, Louisville upsetting, you know, Notre Dame. It's like, we just don't know what to get from these teams. Um, and consistency is the name of the game. I think that uh, North Carolina um, probably has the second most potential behind Florida State um, coming down to the wire this season. But you can't really rule out teams like Duke either. I mean, it's just it's just a crapshoot as to a betting man's dilemma. And um, I think it's really exciting football to watch. And we're talking about, and real quick, we're talking about all this, all with the backdrop that we're not even talking about Clemson, which is so wild, you know? Yeah, are they a lost program? Are they starting the uh, down years under Dabble? They could be in a similar situation as Bama. They may just have a hard time getting back off the mat with the NIL. Absolutely. I completely agree. Oh, boo-hoo. Time for somebody (laughs) else to step (laughs) up. Dabble, I genuinely feel. Dabo creamed his khakis. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable stuff, gentlemen, on this. Listen, it's t- this is a very big week of picks. Very, very one. So I want to get this underway and help the people who need the cash. And also just talk about a week that I really think will help establish and decide the uh, and the help influence the landscape for the rest of the year. So why don't we start right away for week eight picks? This is a huge one. Saturday afternoon, 12 p.m. Number seven, Penn State is going against number three, Ohio State. Ohio State is opening at minus four and a half. The over-under is 45 and a half. Tell us, in this battle of the unbeatens, who's going to win? Oof. Nico, go first. Save me. <laughs> you want me? Um, one thing for the betters out there to win people some money, under. Take the under. That is my play in this the game. It's going to be a Big Ten football game. Take the under. Yeah. However, it's tough because I do think Penn State's the best team in the Big Ten, but I, I have Ohio State winning this game. Um, Ohio State at home in the shoe. Give me Ohio State. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. I think Ohio State wins this game. I think Penn State beats Michigan, and I think Michigan beats Ohio State. It's going to be a weird Big Ten scenario where the committee is going to have no idea what to do. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, even though I think Penn State's the best team in the whole Big Ten, give me Ohio State on Saturday. Under, 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 under. What's what's the over-under right now? 45 and a half. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely taking the under as well. I mean, look, we've, we've seen a lot of these no-name schools going up against Penn State as of late. They're definitely not going to be up in that 40, 50, 60 range with the points they put up on the board. I think particularly at Ohio State, this is going to be a tough, a toughest environment of the year for them outside of Michigan and um, it's going to be, it's going to be a bloodbath. It's a lot of implications on both, uh, for both teams on, in this game. And I just think that Ohio state is going to prevail. My heart says Penn state, my brain says Ohio state. Um, I see it somewhere around like a 24, 20 type of game. 
All right. I first want to get this out of the way. Let's have the big Yukon game of the discussion of the week. Oh, please. You know what? Yukon <laughs> is playing the Southern Florida Bulls. The Bulls are <laughs> small favorites at minus two and a half. The over under is 54. What's happening? <laughs> That's all you. <laughs> oh, what are we talking about? D2 football now? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Alex doesn't like any of his teams. No, I like, I like UConn, but if you put a dog turd on the field, I'm not going to watch it just squirm around. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, I'll I'll take UConn to win, but it's not going to be pretty, and they're not going anywhere the remainder of the season. So let's talk about the games that matter. <laughs> <laughs> I also do have UConn in this one. Uh, UConn money line plus one thirty. Yeah, you can actually. You could actually bet it, and I don't know if this is a state thing that you can't bet the public university of a state on the sports well, you books. You guys can't. I I, I have no I have no idea. I've always noticed like I usually spend a lot of time between New Jersey, and Connecticut. I can't when I'm in New Jersey. I can't I can't bet Rutgers. I knew that. Yeah. I don't know if that's a state law or whatever. I, I don't know, but I know New Jersey. That's what you could do. The state laws, you can't bet a D1 team that plays in that state. So, like, a couple years ago. I think ago, Connecticut I is the that. same way. Yeah, well, yeah, we're not for some reason, which I don't know about. <laughs> but, <laughs> NBA, but uh, yeah, cause I remember a couple years ago when uh, St. Peter's or St. Frank, whatever, well, went on that run in college basketball. Oh, teams, yeah. Everyone in New Jersey City. couldn't bet on them. Dougie Buckets. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that, that feels like 30 years ago. I'm not. A, I, I hate him. I, I hate dog with a passion, and I, I like so, him during. What was that? I'm so, I'm so excited about college basketball. Just the one to dovetail off this conversation. <laughs> Can't wait. There's going to be a lot of room for those shows this upcoming winter. So yeah, I, I promise. I don't know if you guys know this, but Doug, after that run, his, like he transferred to like Brian. I think it was he transferred. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. He got in a big fight with uh, Judah Mitz last year. Syracuse is the best player. I like, just in a big brawl to start the game, and yeah, <laughs> fuck him. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Um, Tennessee's playing Alabama. They're going out there. Seventeenth ranked Tennessee and number eleventh Alabama. Alabama. The nine point favorites, oh, pretty steep, huh? And uh, the spread is 48 and a half. <laughs> Excuse me. What are we going to think? I'm taking Tennessee by a field goal. Um, I don't agree with the odds makers. I don't think that, I think this will be another little scoring game. Uh, I've definitely taken the under, but um, nine is way too high for either team. Um, even if the roles were reversed. So I see Tennessee going on the road and getting a shocker. Um, we saw it last year. We saw an upset. And I think that, um, you know, Tennessee, they know this team like the back of their hand. Um, they see cracks and vulnerabilities with this offense, and they're going to take advantage. Yeah, I'm also taking Tennessee plus eight and a half. Um, outright, I don't know if I'll take Tennessee. I really don't have too much of a read. I just know Tennessee with the points, eight and a half is way, way too much for this game. Um, uh, I, I think it's going to be a touchdown game at max, and I can see either team winning by a touchdown. Um, I'm probably more so lean Bama, obviously, with if I had to take someone on the on the money line. But Tennessee plus eight and a half is definitely the play here. Missouri has been very interesting to bet on this this year. Six and one, they're ranked twenty. They're going against South Carolina. South Carolina's played some teams uh, pretty 
um, has played some teams pretty tough. Missouri opening at minus seven with the over under at 60. Six zero? Six zero, I swear to God. Wow. Yeah, I, I really don't have an opinion on this game, which is weird for me. Um, <laughs> usually this is a game I'm all over betting. Either it's over and under. I hate this game. I, I like it's just it's a great game. It's gonna be fun to watch. I just as a better, this is a game where I have red flags all over it. I had red flags all over it when I was looking when the line came out on Sunday, and I still have red flags here on Wednesday. Staying <laughs> away from this one. Um, if I had to pick, obviously, uh, I go Missouri, probably minus seven. But if you're at home, do not bet this game. Well, yeah, don't bet this game because it's also homecoming for Missouri. So they can either lay down, they can either lay down after halftime and let them creep up the score and, and screw someone's parlay, or they could just put foot, full foot to the gas. So I, I don't know. 60 just seems ridiculous, but um, I definitely have Missouri winning outright for sure. I mean, there's no question about that. Another unique one the University of Iowa ranked at 24 going up against Minnesota. Where the over/under is thirty-one and a half, and the spread is minus three and a half for Iowa. Interesting. Yeah, um, I would definitely take the over, and I think thirty-one is pretty generous for Minnesota because they're five hundred, but they're not a real five hundred. And I think Iowa is a couple bounces from being undefeated. Um, I think this is a real team, and. Uh, I wouldn't be expect. I wouldn't be surprised if it was more than thirty-one. To be honest with you, yeah. Uh, I, one thing I like in this game, um, just looking at everything, I do think it's going to be low scoring. I do like an under in a game like this, believe it or not. Um, but one bet in particular that I like is Iowa team total under seventeen and a half. Um, I could see them getting two touchdowns in the field goal possibly. Um, but you'd still win your bet if that's the case. Um. Give me Iowa team total under. Um, I probably will bet that, or I'm going to take Minnesota getting the three and a half. Um, but those are the two plays that I, I'd have in this game. I like it. I like it. Awesome stuff. All right, what's next? We have Ole Miss at 13 going against Auburn, where Mississippi's just a minus six and a half point favorite. And for the freezing phone, okay, here it is. Stupid phone. All right. This the over under is fifty-four and a half. Yeah, I don't know why it's not working here. I was gonna make up a number. Fifty-four and a half. Yeah. Um okay, good. My, my, my thing was frozen. I was like, you were like frozen for a second. I was like, is that discreet or is like I didn't know? Uh, but yeah, give me uh, give me Mississippi, give me Ole Miss in this game. Um, I think Ole Miss wins this game by a few touchdowns. Um, it's another game where I don't know if I'm necessarily gonna be betting it. Um, but yeah, I, I, if I had a lean right now, um, it's a game I'm highlighting. I'm just gonna w- wait for line movement. Well, love if you can get this number at like seven versus the eight and a half eight it's going for right now. Um, just a more favorable favorable number. But um, yeah, give me Ole Miss in this game. We have a muted Alex. There we go. All right, guys. Um, no, I, I'm taking I'm taking Ole Miss out, right? I think this is this is has all the earmarks of a, a statement game. Um, 
I, I, I really like this team a lot. And um, I don't think Auburn's going to be much more than a speed bump. I, I like the line. I like, I like Mississippi a lot. Talk to me about this one, Michigan, right? And a little mini segment in there. People have been complaining that Michigan's schedule is way too easy, right? <laughs> and we have another matchup where they're going to Michigan State. It's played a little bit better despite all the controversy they have been under in the beginning of the season, the spread is minus 24 for Michigan and 46 and a half is the over under Michigan going to continue this, uh, easy, easy road to the college football playoffs. I definitely think so. Oh, well, wait, wait, let me take it back. I think they dominate this game. I don't know if they're going to easily cruise to the playoff. I think they do dominate this game though. Um, I think this is one of the things that, um, Everyone's going to like Michigan State. Oh, Michigan State, little brother versus big brother at home. Yeah, yeah. No, Harbaugh's <laughs> not having it. Michigan's not having it. There's going to be a domination factor. Michigan's going to continue what they've been doing, like Matt said, and they're just going to steamroll. Oh, no, I, I totally agree, especially when, like, there's such a lopsided uh, weight of power and they're chalking it up to go on the road. Like, the, you know that Michigan State's just talking shit all week. Um so I, I just have full confidence that Michigan's going to be extra amped for this game. They're going to steamroll them and try to make basically an, uh, make an example of them for sure. Matt, are you a hardball guy? I respect him. You know, I, I, okay. I do think uh, he's a fascinating guy. Yeah, I'll say I'm a hardball guy. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people like a lot of people get turned off on him. I love him. Yeah, I could well, see his arrogance and weird stuff took him forever to beat Ohio State. Um, my favorite coach to watch both professional college is Mike McDaniel. That's my guy. I like him. I like his story a lot. Even people were hating on him last year. That guy is just, I think, and then we'll go quickly back to college, but if he specifically wins an Super Bowl, th- this guy with his specific, unique personality, where he, he does not give look like an NFL coach. He doesn't look like a football coach. And if he leads a team, to a Super Bowl victory, a Miami Dolphins who haven't won since the seventies, that might sh- that might change a lot of perspectives on what a coach is supposed to look like and act like. Because he, it seems like he really does act like just one of the boys. He's just a genius in the head. The guy went to Yale, so his story is very interesting to me. If we're talking about coaches, we really like. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but um, I agree. No, I think I love him. I fascinated. Think he's yeah. I think the players love him. I love him. The fans love him. Yeah, he, he's definitely – I like him a lot. And he doesn't get a, that old-school drill sergeant football coach. Yeah. Sometimes Sorry, and Alex? That's true, too, uh, but he might be different. Yeah, he's got weird quirks. He's definitely cut from a different cloth. Like, he's like a different archetype of coach. Like, I feel like there's certain archetypes of coaches that we've seen over the years that we've seen, like, you know, like the Belichick, like the stoic, cranky motherfucker. <laughs> And then we've seen like the nerd kind of coach, which is kind of adjacent to McDaniel, but McDaniel kind of makes it his own because he's got his own flavor too. And then you've got like the Bobby Knight types and, you know, the (laughs) hardball, like kind of come from, you know, family royalty and all this other shit. So I, I think he's kind of carving out his own niche and it's kind of cool to see because he, he reminds me a lot of parallels of like McVay just for obvious reasons for age and for like energy on the sideline. And he like corrals and really galvanizes a, uh, a locker room, but he does it his own way because obviously like McVay is like a stud. He's, he's more of like the players than McDaniel is himself. Um, yeah. Like, like the, the cool way, guy. Yeah. 
It just feels like he was kind of like the guy at lunch that used to get his the the his lights knocked knocked out, you know. And uh, he's getting payback now in the, in this kind of like cybernetic warfare football. So I'm I'm just happy to see him winning because I like watching new coaches do make damage in this league. So freaking awesome stuff, and. Uh, that's except I don't like new coaches in baseball doing analytics. I like the old school coaches there, but football's fine. That's for another day. ALCS, you have two former World Series winners, not a computer in sight. But again, for another day. Just just banging trash cans. That's all. Oh, oh man. That. That'll get. Then this will switch up if you want to get into that with <laughs> We me. got another show to do. <laughs> so Duke at 16 is going to Florida State. Florida State is opening at minus 45 and a half. Interesting, interesting stuff here. With the minus 45 and a half and an over under 49, are we feeling a little different here? What? Oh, um, yeah, no, I, I totally disagree. I think Duke hangs in with this game. Um, I think Florida, look, I mean, Florida State is obviously the cream of the crop of the ACC, but I don't know where to really put them in the hierarchy of the football playoff conversation. This is a game where they either it's fight or flight. They're going to have to either prove it or they're going to come back to earth a little bit and be humbled. So I still think that Florida State wins, but I see it more as like a two touchdown or less type of margin. And I think that ultimately Duke has got, Again, what we've all been saying, they they sneakily have a little bit of bite to the dog. You know, they're 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 still they can hang with anybody. I I think in the ACC. Yeah, I think it's one of those games. Um, I, I like where Vegas has the line at fourteen and a half. I I like uh Vegas. Uh, I like Duke. Maybe Florida State to win this game by two touchdowns. Um, I see a lot of the sharp betters are already moving towards the under. I kind of like the over in this game. Um, I think both teams are going to make it competitive. Um, I think it's one of those games where Duke's going to battle for the first 40 minutes of action, and then the last 20 minutes, Florida State's going to just assert some dominance. But Alex mentioned it earlier in the show. I would not be surprised if Duke really makes this a close field goal game or surprises Florida State. I think Florida State's not as good as everyone thinks they are, and hope Duke can prove something this, this Saturday. All right. Yeah. And I don't know if we're going to cover it, Matt, but Utah, USC, I have a lot to say about that one, too. Yeah, this was the last one here. You know, the other ones. I'm sure UCLA can defeat Stanford at 17-point favorites and Washington over Arizona State. But, yes, the last one is really get in-depth. We have number 14th-ranked Utah versus number 18th-ranked USC, 5-1 and one versus 6-1. The spread is minus 7 for USC at home. Over-under is 54. Talk to me, guys. What's about to happen with this crucial matchup? Uh, I, I know Alex is going to have a lot. Alex has been saying Utah, Utah, Utah the past four weeks, so I can't wait to hear what he says. Before he goes on a rant, I'm going to say is I live USC in a bounce-back game. I love USC in this game. I think Caleb Williams is going to absorb all the heat and negativity he's getting all week, and he's going to ball out and dominate Utah. Um, I have USC winning this game by three scores, but – don't think the team's good. Still think the team stinks. I just think Caleb Williams is going to outwill the whole entire Utah team. And the read all for all the reasons that you detailed is why I'm taking Utah. And the reason being is because they win low scoring tight games. They pull you into the mud. They make you play the game that they want to play. And I think this is going to be a low scoring affair. And I think that Utah is going to go into their house and surprise a lot of people. Now, again, we've, we've talked about this to nauseum. 
Pac-12, there's a lot of players in there in the mix. Um, I don't know where Utah ultimately ends the season in terms of the hierarchy, but I I think that they're sneakily a good team. And I think this could go one of two ways. My presumption as it stands, as of October 18th, 2023, is that moving forward, this is going to be the game that catalyzes, that sets them off on a trajectory where they either run the table or they fold. So I think this is a game where this is kind of the launch point. If they're going to make a run, because they have a lot of tough opponents throughout the, the remainder of the season for their, their schedule, this is going to be the beginning of that launch. And I think that they're going to dominate um, in terms of their, their defensive style of play. They're going to shut down USC, similar to what Notre Dame did. And I think they're going to win something like a 24 to 21 type of game. <clears throat> mm. And how does Caleb do specifically in this game? I still think he'll ball out. I mean, he'll make a couple mistakes. Um, I think he'll have decent numbers. But again, you know, if, if you're not bringing home a W, it's not, it's, it's ineffectual. All right, you feel the same way, Nico? Yeah. Um, I, I think he's getting his numbers. I, I don't agree with Alex in the sense of the gameplay itself. Um, I do kind of like the under. Um I just really like USC, and I, I don't – it's weird. It's like a double negative because if you like USC and you like the under, it's it's weird. That, and that's something that I'm very nervous about because USC's defense stinks. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I just really like USC in a bounce-back game. I, I think they cover. Well, this is a – you know, this is a classic dichotomy of do you have more faith in Utah's defense or USC's offense? And I just have more faith in – defense winning games and especially when you look at it over the trajectory of a season i think you can count more on that than you can with an offense like usc Ooh. all right well gentlemen that should wrap up this stellar productive conversation we'll see you next week to talk about week eight we'll talk about week seven in the nfl on wednesday show and we'll keep it going from there thank you so much gentlemen we'll see you soon no problem big ufc card this weekend Yes. Oh. Who do you want to win? Yeah, just wrote before. I, so here's my thing. I, I'm a big Khabib guy. Um, I'm not a big Islam guy, but I'm a big Khabib guy. Khabib <laughs> is allegedly going to be in the fight and in his corner for the first time in three fights with Dana White Schwartz, not Mayan. Uh, everyone was so scared of Khabib as a fighter. He is arguably the best coach Dana White said he's ever seen, and I think that's going to play to Islam's advantage. Am I rooting for Volk? Yeah, I want Volk to win. I just don't think he has a chance. Um, but a parlay that I like, I like Islam and Khabib's brother because if Khabib's there, he's obviously going to go with his brother as well, which is early in the prelims. Um, Sedner Magomedov, and uh, I think it's a good parlay to probably both of them get it at plus 110 right now. All right, we're not going to forget that. Let's make some moves. Let's make some cash, whether in UFC or the football, or the football field for college football. All right, gentlemen, we'll see you soon. Now, that was real, real smooth. Great job, Alex and Nico. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasting platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding the show across all social media platforms on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast, Twitter and next at Pod, TikTok at Productive Conversations, and Facebook at Productive Conversations. So we're back tomorrow with an all-new edition of the Tweet Cap. And... Tomorrow is a very special show. 
Friday, October 20th, marks the third anniversary of this podcast. Three years ago, I launched this show. I dropped three episodes, Brad, Ryan, and Brendan St. Brown. And we started this journey to become a major brand and give opportunities in the world of content creation and podcasting. We are very proud of what we have accomplished so far. There's still a lot more work to do, but hitting the three-year mark is definitely something to acknowledge and something to appreciate and something to celebrate. So we will no doubt have a special show for you tomorrow. We're going to have Ryan and Jose, and we're going to keep on the great work we've normally been doing, and we're going to just bring a special vibe because it is the third anniversary show, and we are going to start year three, a whole new season, a lot more growth. We know we want to get more subscribers, more followers on our social platforms, and we just want to have bigger numbers a year from now in terms of who watches our reels, who subscribes to the podcast on Spotify and Apple, and who is ultimately becoming part of the Productive Nation and this fan base. So we will be very excited for that. Happy theater anniversary to the show, and thank you to every single person, past and present, who have come on and be a part of the action. You know, it'll be officially 270, 278 shows. And it's pretty cool to think when I launched a show three years ago in the pandemic, that by time you hit the three year anniversary, one, you still have the podcast. Everyone around you started shows all quit on themselves. And we have now a small staff. We have a very awesome and growing audience and we just have great people on every week and give nothing but great content every single week and give you great stuff every single day in our reels so a lot to be proud of and let us get back on the horse acknowledge the special day and let's on to the next one on to the 300th episode which looks like it's going to take place in november and then we'll go from there and we just want to level up significantly when we're at year four of this so we're going to celebrate the third year anniversary tomorrow and you do not want to miss it with ryan and jose i want to thank alex and nico for their contributions today we'll see you guys next week for the nfl and college football shows i want to thank dolo ren for what he does behind the scenes and i want to thank you the greatest fans and listeners in the world for supporting us no matter what and being the greatest audience a podcast can have. We love each and every single one of you. My name is Matt Brown. I'm the host of the Productive Conversations podcast and I'll be seeing you tomorrow. All right. Feel good Friday, third anniversary. See you then. Peace. And don't forget to check in on your friends and family. All she needed was some...